Hi, this is Sandhya Mendonca and you're listening to my podcast Spotlight with Sandhya. Writers, scientists, artists, business leaders, politicians, you will find them and many other engaging people right here talking about what they do and how it impacts the world. There are a few people who astonish me not only because of what they do but how they do it. The guest on today's show is architect and urban designer Naresh Narsimhan. Of late, people have been waxing eloquent about the good old days of Bangalore. I am a Bangalorean born and bred, a daughter of the soil, and one of the reasons that I like Naresh is that he's an enthusiastic and active advocate of all things Bangalore or Bengaluru. Naresh, yeah. As a professional architect, what are the buildings in Bangalore that you're proud to have designed? Well, quite a few, but uh, among the uh, more important ones would be the National Gallery of Modern Art. My father, Mr. P.K. Venkatraman, who did the Raman Research Institute, many other buildings. But curiously, what I've been known for recently is not a building at all. It was the revamp of Church Street. Do you feel that something is missing in today's Bangalore that you want to add or augment? Do you believe in going back See the, to get yeah. something yes. into today's no, Bangalore? There are issues, right? And tra- mobility is definitely an issue. And the is starting to get rather crowded. The city itself is the density is starting to approach optimal limits. Beyond this, you know, there is simply no more place. The number of vehicles are almost one is to one, which is the one vehicle per person population, which is the worst ratio in the whole world. Yeah, mobility is certainly Bangalore's It is the worst problem. ratio in the whole world. I mean, it should be 1 is to 40 or 1 is to 50. That should That's be one private vehicle for every 50 people. That's okay. The city can handle that. 1 is to 1 is almost impossible. That's an indictment on the lack of public mobility, Transport. right? Yeah. Okay, so let's come back to your interesting initiatives, starting with the very high-profile Church Street. You know, the makeover certainly got its share of praise, but it's also got its fair share of brickbats. One of the most popular streets, it had become a stinking garbage dump with all the restaurants and pubs and stores and offices, you know, littering the place. With the cobblestone makeover, it looks fabulous. But as usual, maintenance is the bane. Is it worth spending 23 crore rupees? on doing up a road that's less than half a kilometer. You're asking how I got that number? Yeah, I'll tell you how. How much was first spent on it? Eight crore, nine crore on doing up this. That's what the nine crore rupees makeover in 2018 under tender shirt. Okay, and 2020, 18.75 crore for installing international level LED streetlights. Actually, everybody got it wrong. Okay. What we discovered that when we, the, it was, roughly it would have cost about, the actual road would have cost only about 9, 10 crore. Mm-hmm. Which is well, well within the, because it was a 100%. Initially, we thought we'd just move all the cables to the side and put it in some organized way. When we opened the road, after the contract was given, we found out literally it's like Medusa. It's like a intertwined nest of snake under nobody knows what is Patala Bhairavi (laughs) under the ground we hardly know what is above the ground in terms of map under the ground nobody has any clue so when we dug it so what had to be two decisions had to be taken one cut the cables as they are relay a new 
you don't need 32 electric cables. You need one on either side. That's how it's done internationally. One giant cable from which you branch off into each building. Here there were 32 because every time somebody wanted power, they would lay a new cable without any idea where it was and no record of where it was buried. So that pushed up the cost. Two, because MG Road is a high-profile road, and VIPs used to go on it, at least in the olden days. Now they go on Coburn Road in the olden days. There is no infrastructure on MG Road itself. All the buildings on MG Road were getting power from Church Street, which was being treated like a service road. And that was blocking everything. It was transformers were in the way. There were giant... Uh, it's a very narrow street to begin with. Electrical infrastructure, all these panels were in the way. That had to be completely redone from scratch. That itself cost some 6 crore or some ridiculous 5, 6 crore because the entire electrical infrastructure of MG Road was on Church Street. So oh. everything had to be come. So the cost actually was reasonable, if you ask me. Because these two unprecedented things pushed up the cost by this. But what we have achieved because of that is future proofed it for at least some 20, 30 years, put much bigger uh, capacity than is required. The cables are 40% oversized. So even if new buildings come up, there's no, no need to dig it up. You just connect it, it's, the cable will take it. So that's not true. It's easy to sensationalize everything from put, uh, you know cobblestones coming out. Every other road in Bangalore also gets potholes, right? But if nobody spent make, that kind of money. You didn't, no, it, no the, the stones itself cost nothing. Okay. The most of the cost of the road is below that road. Okay. The stones itself is nothing. There are one lakh. But that's the one people can see, so they see. talk about so it. it. What happened was the maintenance contract got over. And before the new maintenance contract came, there was a one-year gap. Oh, right. In that one year, all that problem happened. The contract is reawarded now. All the problems are gone. That, you haven't heard about it for some time now. No? I haven't heard about it. Correct. So the most of it is all right. But it needs looking after. Any road, just like your building, needs waterproofing. You need to look after the road. You need maintenance. And two, it is not designed to take 40. The reason it happened, because somebody was building a new building there and they brought a 40-ton cement mixer full of concrete and they rolled it on that. Wow. That thing cannot, it is designed to take a 20-ton fire truck. Well, it goes back to who gives them permission to do who this. Who brings that? In the middle of the night, they have done it. Somebody has done it. So, I don't want to point any fingers, but we should now, I have proposed to the government to put a height barrier. So only a fire engine can come through. Even right. Some kind of, you know, welcome arch, which is welcome to Church Street, but also I have asked the government to consider that. Okay, which brings me to this very interesting uh, question and it always keeps going over in my mind. How is it that you have this very unique ability, you know, you're on many task force of the state government, but you're also there standing on the very same footpath and taking uh, up issues against the government. Do you have, don't you get any negative fallout? How are you able to be on both sides of the fence, not on the same issue, but at different points of time? I mean, that is one of the unique things about... Uh, you, Nadesh Narasimhan. I know. I said that's one of the unique things about the gentlemanly quality of politics in Karnataka. Mm. The politicians in Karnataka are reasonable people. You can talk to them. 
unlike maybe in other states where they are some are seen to be very dictatorial or top down i have always found that the political leadership across parties in karnataka was always open to dialogue if you went and talked to them they would talk to you it would help if you go with 10 people to talk to them because mass leaders like to listen to the masses so that lesson i learned long ago so they when i approach they're all approachable and they're not like they don't take it personally when a policy of the government is criticized unlike maybe other states in which the head of the state is personally vested in an idea here it's an idea all right and they and because of that it, one is able to say critically talk about something in the morning on twitter and have tea with the same person that afternoon talk about some, maybe something else altogether and there will be no real it's not about antagonistic there won't be any it, it's a point of view and i think karnataka is great because it allows people to come from all everywhere else and listens to their point of view the decision making is still the government right At the end chief minister and his cabinet are the ones who take clear decisions but i think it's important that you listen to different points of view before you make up your own mind and you've never been tempted to get into politics yourself no why is that i enjoy being an architect more or more and an urban designer more probably I, it's more chal- for me it's it's not about power it's more about bringing about a positive change yeah so more like that it's more like a positive influence on the city itself if possible all right you know one of the things that uh, you've been responsible for is getting rid of uh, this problem with the storm water drain the dreadful smell from that drain near shantinagar bus stand is one of my abiding childhood memories i used to walk to school and back past it now it's called a k100 storm water drain project and it's a citizens waterway tell me how it came about that's a, still a work in progress it will still smell a little bit if you go there but see what what happens is that i started it actually goes back a long time and almost all the energy of everybody in the government went to fixing the lake then i started asking a question saying why why is it catching fire it sounds illogical for water to catch fire but what was happening was there is a lot of pollution going into it in terms of oil from unauthorized industries and all kinds of resins and all kinds of flammable things and that surface was catching fire so i started backtracking is it where is it coming from then we find out that it's a strange paradox it's government sometimes in its mysterious way it is organized just take the simple idea of a storm water drain what is it it says storm water drain it's fairly obvious what it is the raja kalaves and minor kalaves raja is the big ones the storm water drain is owned by the bbm the mahanagara paliket bangalore the sewage is a product of an inefficient sewage system and is technically owned by the bwss right so they are using a bbmp asset without paying for it hmm because if the sewage is flowing in the the drain itself goes and ends in a lake in a water body which is owned by the minor irrigation department so there are three government departments as usual working without wait, any wait, connection wait over all this there is a pollution control board giving gyan on what to do and there is a national green tribunal which keeps issuing like fairly strong edicts saying that if you don't do it your guys are going to be in serious trouble if you don't fix it but who has to fix it so nobody is responsible 
because everybody's jurisdiction stops tick 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 like this. So I said, this is an in- interesting, like they say, paradox. No, no, hack problem, like big, hairy, audacious, <laughs> kind of sort of grow, you know, goal kind of problem. How can one bring all this together? So the lesson I learned from Church Street, one of the greatest lessons, was that is best illustrated by an anecdote. About two years back, just I think after that first COVID tamasha, I had gone there on Church Street and near that Empire restaurant, these three Paurakarmikas were sitting there. There are two, three of them, three ladies who control that street. Okay, they are the bosses of that area. And when we did the street, we made friends with everyone. So, because that is the point where it will fail. Things are not looked after. So, we made friends with all the shopkeepers, all the Karmikas, including the rag pickers, everybody was roped into it at that time. And these three ladies were my, they're all sitting there and chewing pan and on, at 10 o'clock on a working day, on a Monday or Tuesday. So I said, hey, nama, no work or what? Kalsalva type of thing, chilling out. She's saying, I to sir. I said, by 10 o'clock you finished sweeping the whole street. She's saying, yeah, nobody throws garbage anymore. Parakamikas told you that uh, nobody's throwing garbage and their work is getting over very fast. Wow. So, what is the lesson to learn? If you bring the public into public infrastructure, it will almost look after itself. People will look after it. And people will get angry with you if you litter. Right. The second lesson to learn is if you move from a grey infrastructure to a green infrastructure. You remove that dullness of it and put like an environment with green in it. People will start using it. Okay. So then I said, let's look at this. And at that time, there was a government initiative to, there was an NGT order also saying that do something about it. There was Mm -hmm. a judgment of the high court also saying this has to be, this can't go on. This rampant sewage flow into. So I started, shifted the attention from only the lake saying that let's fix the input into the lake. Okay. After some time, all the kachara in that lake already will will pump it out. We'll push it downstream now. And from now on, we'll shove only storm water into the lake. All the sewage from the lake will be diverted into a pipe on either side or under it or whatever crap and push it into a sewage treatment plant, treat it there and push it back into the same lake. Treated water. No, it's worked dramatically. All the lakes of the Hoskote area now full because of this effect of this almost this one drain. The sewage treatment plant there is pushing 100 million liters of water into the lakes of uh, all the t- lakes in the Kola district are getting filled, which hasn't been filled for 10 years. Fantastic. But you say it's still... Um... So then it turned out to be a much more complicated problem than just using some maxims. to do. <laughs> so we, there was no way to access it. It had got encroached very badly. So we had to use drone technology, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Then we brought in something called the Karnataka State Natural Disaster Monitoring Authority. Okay. There's a very good organization. We used their flow models, reverse the engine, river, reverse engineered it to work. Pushed all 130 million liters of sewage, pushed into pipes and pushed into the sewage treatment plant. It's no longer flowing into Belandur Lake. To such an extent that at the mouth of the lake, a little bit, there are birds now nesting on Belandur Lake. 
this fresh water going inside the same one that was in flames yeah. just it has noticed it hasn't burnt no. i know now birds migratory birds are sitting on one little mud island in just a little bit inside the near the inlet that will be so satisfying such a great so sight so it has the potential to change the real estate values of that area dramatically because that belandur also gets a huge amount of sewage from the north of bangalore to that nala road the drain which goes past alsur lake mm-hmm. behind the building bangalore international center next to kga that's the other feed into belandur that has also got to be fixed if this 10 km gets done not if when it's already about 80% 70% done another 30% is the hard part that is beyond banargata road if it gets done it will be like a model for india how to deal with and what it does is it also creates a walkway inside mm-hmm. from double road to belandu fantastic and some places where it's wide enough it's on both sides you wow. can walk on with bridges with so the smell behind bic and kga no, bic is next okay that is another drain all right this is k100 goes from majestic which is the oldest drain of bangalore where did it get this santalas huh? where did it get this it's a classification the okay. k100 k200 k1 all the subsidiaries are called 103 119 this one has 13 subsidiary drains good heavens you have to fix that also and i'll show the, you what's the day. connection to soul oh that is one of the inspirations for it okay and in so the city of soul with a name like that it had no soul at all <laughs> okay dull the dead place you know the curiously high rate of uh, self harm strange mm-hmm. it's one of the world capitals for it one mayor who was also an architect who found out that there's a flyover and in the middle of the city and below the flyover there's actually a small stream a rivulet not a river soul is like bangalore it has no river in the middle does it So one day he just went nuts and broke the flyover and exposed the rivulet and it's about 14 kilometers long the rivulet flowing through the city and he made it into a public space that people can enjoy and it became the biggest tourist attraction of oh so, nice so that i saw it in 2012 or something tongtiton or something it's called unpronounceable for yes. me so tongtiton something tongtiton so it just needs the right imagination no no you cannot take something that you see abroad like a best practice and put it into india india is much more complicated you t- to a project like this for it to come through needed six thing five things plus one thing to come together one was the idea itself the boldness of the idea that you can fix a interdepartmental problem if you put together a set of concepts like this two it was also a conference of political in, uh, interest three also it was a contractual thing because it is a one of the contracts of the bbmp to actually do it then the bureaucracy then the contract means means the entire bureaucratic mechanism to execute it and five one of the reasons it happened also was because the during covid we couldn't let the entire construction the government also could not let the entire industry fall apart so the government also is looking for some some very people friendly projects to do and this fit the built uh, ticked all the boxes right so it takes a confluence of events and people mm. and finance and everything for it to happen 
Every every 25 projects I propose, one comes through. One comes through. But I think you're pretty happy with another one that featured in the last budget, the heritage and educational district. Many years ago, I remember you talking about, you know, that central uh, Bangalore. Yeah, that heritage uh, stretch. And tell me more about it. That's what that, that whole stretch is actually Bangalore's history in a microcosm, right? It's a it's the job, physical expression of Bangalore's history, literally. It's one palace to another palace. And the whole story of Bangalore is in between that. How many palaces on that stretch? Many, you know, from Tipu's palace and the other end is Bangalore Palace. Bangalore Palace. And then we have all these fabulous educational yeah, institutions. Yeah, all the educational institutions Central of College, Maharani's College. Both the universities are there. Right. And they're almost like, I think, 22 or 23 separate Maharani's. So many are there. And the most of them still have their old uh, architecture. Town, huh? Yeah, some of them. So, is that the plan to keep it, uh, renovate it? So, it's an interesting thing because it's both like an educational area and it's also an heritage district. It also has about 30 odd heritage buildings, not only on that one road, but in that area, including the Dropatunga Road and including the other side also, where the Freedom Park and all is coming. Even that is a bit of heritage. So, if you look at it, it's about 2,000 odd acres of land, which has the potential for both to become an educational uh, heritage as well as a tourism hub. Parts of those, many of those government buildings which are used for offices would be repurposed for cultural purposes or for educational purposes and make it like more people friendly. And it's, it's going to take another... Three, four, five years. And that's a, a much a good more beginning has been made by the government recognizing that the inner core of the city is about five kilometers from Vidhan Sauda. And in, within that, there are many buildings like that also in the cantonment area. So the government has recognized that about a five kilometer radius study has to be done to establish the feasibility and the how the how it will be done, this kind of precinct, like educational and heritage precinct. For the center of this. I think it's good. Because at least our children will know what the city looks like. Exactly. And even the new people who come to the city would know what yeah. they are entering. What is the heritage that they are the proud inheritors of yeah. now. You know, I'm a firm believer that there can be only one Kaban Park. But now there is a second Kaban Park coming up in the Alahanka. And it's going to be named after the founder, Kim Pekauda. I only, I mean... Greenery, green parks are always very welcome. I only, you know, uh, wish that when it comes to the his statue, they don't get into this typical, mine is bigger than yours. I think one nice statue to commemorate the founder of our city would be very welcome. But tell me, are you part of that project in any way too? In a larger sense, because I've been sort of advocating for... I mean, people don't realize that the last big park in Bangalore was built in 1880. That is Kaban Park. So it's like really long ago, like 145 years ago. So I think it's important to pick up wherever large parcels of land are still available around Bangalore. And not everything has to be a public park, public, public park like Kaban Park. For instance, the Rorich Estate on Kanakpura Road, that should make it like a 500 acre yeah, nature reserve. No, nature reserve, like a biodiversity. And allow only controlled, uh, your, you know, book. Right. 
you can, anybody can't just land up there and it's, it's not a park park. Let it be more for the natural denizens. To yes, I know. So many, there are many pockets like that all around Bangalore and it's a good move for the government to give Yalanka a large... Yeah, the Yalanka Nada Prabhu and who created Bangalore. And tell me, why are you so interested in doing all this for Bangalore? Because I, you know, I, I've, I've traveled all over the world. I've seen more than 75 countries and cities. I think if you have a set of tick boxes, Bangalore ticks about seven of them. No other city comes close because there's great climate, great people, great projects, great. And I was, I've lived almost all my life here. And in terms of, I think, an accepting culture and a tolerant kind of place, which allows people from everywhere to flower to their potential, if you want me to put it like that. Why do people come to Bangalore? Not just because of uh, economic opportunity, it's probably there in other places. But there's a certain, what do you call it? Charm and a, welcoming like, attitude. Like I would say that, you know, Bangalore is a, is a working city. It's, it's, it's not a city of, it's no longer a retirement home. It used to be that long ago. But now I think it's a, and we're not really, in in some sense, we are also not a very, it's a city of new ideas. It's a, all the new ideas that change India originate in Bangalore. We've noticed many of them, right? Many, Aadhaar. So many. The national education policy, for instance, comes from a set of people who did it here in Bangalore. Professor Sridhar and many others. So many other things, like the, we go to Mars from Bangalore. Remember? So there are multiple things like that. So I, for all those reasons, and also not to, of course, never to discount the climate. Yes. And most of that, see, already as of today, summer is officially over. It's raining outside slightly. So And the sight of the flowers in bloom, yeah. oh my God. We have a very forgiving summer in Bangalore, to put it mildly. And the rest of the time, you can spend almost about 300 days a year without... You can spend outside with light clothing. Right. That's also important, right? Quality of life. No, so my interest, and to circle back to what you're saying is, I do all this because I think livability in the city should be the big metric. And livability consists of things which can be made into metrics in terms of air quality, water quality, mobility quality. The one thing we are very good in Bangalore is telecom quality, the Bandwidth is incredible. With 5G, it's gone berserk. That's one thing we are perfect at India. Anything virtual, we're very good. Anything physical, it's a little bit difficulty. Your latest passion project is a book on Bangalore. Naresh, can you tell me something more about it? In my journey through Bangalore's heritage, I had come across a fantastic book called Bangalore Through the Centuries, written by Mr. Fazlul Hassan, who was a official in the BBMP at that time, and who had assembled a fantastic bibliography and a historiography and written this lovely book, which was last published in 1970, or more than 50 years ago. I thought it would be a great idea. It's a collector's edition. The original first edition is now valued at more than 10,000 rupees a copy, if you have managed to get one. So we met his son and his family, and they have given us the rights to publish it. We have a foundation called the Mod Foundation as well as a publishing arm called Metaform, which is going to republish this book 
by the end of june or so we're all looking forward to that thank you so i hope you will continue with doing your best to make the physical infrastructure better in bangalore thank you narish for joining this podcast and to our listeners i hope you enjoyed this episode of spotlight with sandhya as much as i did do subscribe to the podcast i would love to hear from you thank you the links are in the bio i'll be back soon with another interesting guest until then take care